What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from different locations on this holiday-shortened week. Uh, Dow futures up 800 amid more signs that the COVID-19 curve may be bending in some key parts of the world. Oil, though, uh, giving back some of last week's squeeze as a Saudi-Russia meeting is delayed until Thursday. Uh, Jim, the president this morning uh, tweets light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but you are warning people against being cheerleaders uh, for not a good reason. Yeah, look, I, I just think that there are two different worlds. There's the healthcare world, and certainly we want to wish the best, and we like to see flattening of a curve in Italy or Madrid or New York. And then there's the uh, earnings world, uh, and the earnings world doesn't uh, bend. The earnings world responds. Uh, there are a lot of companies that are doing poorly, and sometimes uh, their stocks have reflected that. Sometimes their stocks haven't. So I just warn people that if you're going to uh, buy or sell stocks based on uh, what the president says or, or what, what Governor Cuomo says. I think you're not being thoughtful. And, and it takes a thoughtful person to be able to try to figure out whether you want a lot of exposure here or not. So does that mean that if we did see more signs today, I mean, some people theorize maybe there's a weekend a bias to these these counts. Right. But if we got some affirmation over the next couple of days, how, what would it take for you to change to change that view, to well, say that the market is looking through the health numbers? Well, I think we need to see testing, testing, testing. I'd like to see the beginning. Abbott Labs shipped its uh, tests on Thursday. I'd like to see some empirical evidence that perhaps there are people who have antibodies so that they can go back and eat and go back and drink and go back to work. I, I think it's uh, the question is how how many people can, when it comes to the stock market, how many people can participate in the economy and how many can't? How big is the small business loan? How quickly are those getting going out? Those are the things that determine whether the board should be green or red, uh, not whether we had uh, a flattening of the curve in Madrid last night. Yeah. You know, Jim, I hear the same, um, which is, listen, great. Uh, let's, let's hope it's as quick as possible in terms of the flattening of the curve in countries all around the world and certainly here. And in our home city, of course, which has taken it the hardest uh, in the U.S. But it doesn't mean, to your point, that people are going to go suddenly resume normal life uh, in any way. And everybody, of course, is trying. It's I'm sure every conversation you guys have is when do you think we'll get back to and then just list whatever right. it is. Right. When are my kids going to go back to school? Will there be school in the fall, by the way? Will there be camp this summer? When would you go eat again? When would you fly again? When would you go to a concert again or a sporting event? On and on. And it's very much unclear, I think, guys, that 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 is going to take place simply because the curve is bending. To Jim's point, and one that a lot of people have made, when we have testing that is ubiquitous and fast, when we have antivirals that are available, then I think you could imagine a world in which people will feel much more comfortable reentering the workplace and reentering their social lives in a much more robust way. Yeah, so right. I mean, Carl, I have to tell you, when I hear about the small business loans, I'm cheered. Uh, when I think, do I want to go to a restaurant? I'm saying, yeah, out of your mind. I mean, one of the best things that happened this weekend was that my daughter Uber eated a, uh, a sandwich from the Chatham Sandwich Shop. And she figured out how to do that. And I was like, wow. 
we're back. And then you finish the sandwich and you say, well, wait a second. I hear that I got to wear a mask. Well, we're not back. Can we just wait until there's some definitive evidence that people are going to go out of their houses and go to work? And what will happen when we do? Uh, I think a lot of us are looking at how China away from Wuhan is doing so well and feeling like, wow, I mean, they sure got it down or did they have it down ahead of time? And I think that we cheer when we see a plane that Mark Benioff helped bring uh, that had mass to this country. And then we boo uh, when we say, well, why isn't anybody else helping us? And I I think that we've got to get away from the notion that when their plane lands or when we uh, we wear masks and cut it and deaths are cut down by 100, that that's the time to buy Delta. The confluence and the conflation of stocks with uh, ventilators is just a huge mistake. And it doesn't matter that you're an optimist or pessimist. We're going to hear from Larry Cudlow. It is not why you buy a stock because we finally got enough ventilators. That is just uh, this is sophomoric. Yeah, no, it's it's a key point. It sort of uh, is reflected in this. We're going to talk about Starbucks in a minute, Jim. But JPM cuts it to neutral today. Consumption habits now largely broken in the United States and may take some time to rebuild. That's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I read that note and I said, wow, you know what? Uh, There's a number 16,000 that are out of 31,000 where something may have changed, where people may not go. I disagree with that piece, by the way. I think that people are eager to go back to what they were doing. And they'd love to when things are all clear. Uh, But they also feel like it's foolish to go right now. Uh, And I think that the notion of foolish is something that has to prevail, because unless we're tested, 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 uh, what happens is we think that we might have the virus. We might be giving the virus to someone because we had a triple vente cappuccino with skim wet. I mean, we don't want to go there. So what we basically want is to say, you know what? This is for real when we all feel like we can go back to work because we have the antibodies, not because the president says we can, not because the presidential candidate says we can. I think this is trying to be a nonpolitical moment, but boy, everyone's just trying to make it politics. Or, well, or, Jim, when we have the ability to, to know that we can get tested immediately if we feel like we have any symptoms whatsoever, that the infection rate is extremely low at whatever point that will be, uh, and that there are antivirals readily available. And that was good news from Gilead we got over the weekend, at least in terms of how they're ramping up, but that there are antivirals available that would make whatever we do have uh, much less in terms of symptoms uh, and in terms of actual complications of any kind. I mean, that combination could be enough to bring people back. But by the way, Jim, for all of that, we are relying to a certain extent on our government and not right. necessarily our state government, which seem to be fending for themselves right now, but for our federal government. Right. And that remains, I think, a key question as well. So I call my doctor because I listen to the president. I say, OK, let's get this hydroxy. And my doctor says, well, wait a second. There are people with lupus who really need it, and you can't get it. And I said, well, no, I just heard the president say I can get it. He said, well, how about Dr. Fauci? He said, well, he was told 15 times that he really shouldn't say it. And I'm like, what the hell? What am I doing? I'm arguing with my doctor about something that might make it so the people have lupus. Uh, lives are, wor- are worth uh, where versus mine because I heard the president. And I get off and I just say, well, this is ridiculous. Can we just, like, have a country? I mean, do we really have... One of the foremost uh, virologists, Dr. Fauci, saying one thing, and then a guy who's not even six feet from him saying the other. And, and it's the president. He admits that he's not, he can't write a prescription. Dr. Fauci uh, helped kill, you know, crush AIDS. And I'm like thinking, all right, well, I got to get this or I'm an idiot. And then I find out that I'm really taking a drug from someone who's sick. And, and I, I finish and I say, you know what the hell with it? I'm going to watch Netflix. 
Anything good? Yeah, some remarkable reporting, uh, Jim, over the weekend uh, about Fauci, about Navarro, about this big fight in the Situation Room. Uh, Navarro on CNN this morning saying that uh, he's he's qualified to comment on this because he's a social scientist. That's sort of where we are right now. Well, Peter's a, a jack of all trades. I, I happen to, as David knows, like Peter, know Peter for a very, very long time. I think, I, look, is it every man for himself and every woman for himself? I mean, to some degree, we're all on uncharted waters. I mean, Peter wants to do what's right. The president wants to do what's right. Larry Cudler wants to do what's right. But we all have different views of what's right. Steve Mnuchin wants to do what's right. Or sorry, Chuck Schumer wants yeah. to do it. But there we're are not. Ways, we're, like, there are, there are not, ways to accomplish it, though, Jim. Yeah, that, that where you can actually execute things without making an enemy of every single person. It's not clear to me what Navarro's real, uh, real uh, goal is, whether it's just to get everybody in fights with him, because he seems <laughs> to enjoy doing that, doesn't he? he likes to mix it up. Uh, yeah, well, he does. He does. And he did it with 3M and he did it with GM. And he's, you know, I mean, it's forget Fauci. He, that guy's just taking them on wherever they come. Well, I, I don't, uh, look, I, I'm not in the business of defending anyone other than uh, people uh, who watch the show. Uh, whom I will defend because I think they're trying to save their nest egg or their life savings and trying to figure out whether to tap into their 401k or not. And they don't like confusion. I mean, you know, I, I got the mask. Now, I've had some masks. And then I said, well, maybe I have too many masks. Maybe I should give away my mask. But maybe I need my-. I mean, look, I mean, we're Americans and we're, we don't have a clue of what to do. This is not like where Lincoln has given us a little heads up about what to go. I mean, you, know, I mean, you go back and you read Lincoln, you read Churchill and you say, Geez, but there's people have a they're pretty serious. No, uh, whatever. I mean, they're the people we listen to, right? George Washington, he had yeah, a lot of game. Yeah. I mean, look, our founding fathers well, and one of the- some great presidents, the 16th president, they faced different things. They faced a civil war, President Lincoln. And he did not, uh, he had a cabinet, as, as Doris Gerns Goodwin told us, he, he had a very unruly cabinet, but they all ended up speaking through one, which is President Lincoln. And that's what I would, if I were President Trump, I would say, okay, look, I've read this Lincoln. I've read, you know, get called Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's pretty good. I heard professor. not going to happen. But why not? Because why not? you know it's not. Because we're three and a half years in. Really? Really? It's never too late to learn, dude. Well, Jim, it's, it's that kind of uh, historical scope that defines Diamond's shareholder letter today. Uh, he says earnings will be down meaningfully this year, won't request any regulatory relief, but... Uh, The pandemic, quote, only one example of the bad planning and management uh, that has hurt our country. We need to demand more of ourselves and our leaders. And then goes into some of the adverse scenarios they've run. Uh, GDP down 35, year-end jobless down 14, or up 14. Uh, And uh, even with that, they say liquidity will still not be a problem. Yeah, look, I, I like the last part, which is liquidity won't be a problem. I, I see Germany going for uh, unlimited loans. I think that it's great to hear Jamie's voice. Uh, I know he's been sick. We wish him the best of luck, and he's the largest bank. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Then we default to, like, the little world that we're from. I, how bad is that stock? How bad is the, the, uh, how bad are the bank stocks? Well, uh, Mike Mayo cut the numbers today, Wells Fargo. I think there's a lot of people who say, okay, our dividends next. We hear from the president's people that dividends are next. We know that they're the next thing to go in Europe. We look at the stocks. Suddenly, they're, they're selling for a higher multiple than we thought, which is very typical of what happens in a downturn. And we say, you know what? That's very philosophical, and I really enjoy that. Sell the stock. 
And, and I think, again, that's the difference between the real world, which is that there's the philosophers, of which there are many different philosophies, versus whether I should own a stock that sells at 14 times earnings where the dividend might go. Uh, and I'd like to see some buying. I saw Charlie Scharf buy a huge amount of stock. He's the new Wells Fargo uh, CEO. But then I read that Wells Fargo is still bound by the February dictum by Janet Yellen, right, if, right the Friday before the Super Bowl, where he can't make the loans. But he's the largest lender. And I say to myself, government, will you get your damn act together? I mean, like any one of us, like if David and Carl, if we all like this weekend felt that we were doing something wrong, we'd hash it out. It's okay. J-Pal should come on our show right now and say, you know what, maybe it's time to waive the restriction on Wells. And then Charlie comes on. But these guys, Charlie, I like Charlie very much. But you know what? It's like the back. I feel like it's the back of the cab and on the waterfront. <laughs> yeah, whether it's uh, Wells, 3M. I mean, all uh, we're in a huge uh, fighting mode right now, <laughs> oh, 3M. Uh, Jim, as we... As we- as we search for answers. We're going to take a quick break here. We, there's a lot to get to. We haven't talked about a lot of the diagnostic news this morning. Obviously, oil will be a huge story all week. Don't go anywhere. Squawk on the Street is back in just a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. As Carl mentioned, as we headed to break, of course, oil continues to be a focus for us. Huge updates uh, to end last week for that commodity on the promise, perhaps, of significant production cuts from the Saudis, the Russians, maybe even including the U.S., but very much unclear where things stand. I would also reference, guys, an interview I did with Jeremy Weir of Trafagora, the largest single importer, uh, exporter of U.S. crude and one of the largest traders of the commodity around the world. He's looking for far lower prices. And of course, Jim, a point that he made, that you've made, and others as well is they're running out of places to put all of, all of this oil. Trafagora, for its part, leasing tankers and whatnot, buying very low in the hopes, of course, it will rebound at some point. As we wait to get some clarity here in terms of whether there really are going to be significant production cuts, none of which will be enough to catch up to the demand destruction that's taken place worldwide. Right. I, I gauge the uh, tankers by looking and not recommending Nordic American tankers NAT because you can see where that is. That's a huge, that's the biggest tanker company. Yeah, David, I mean, in the end, what's going on? What's going on is that if you don't have a lot of people driving, you don't have the demand. But if you keep pumping at 13 million barrels as they are in the Permian, then you do run out of space. So what do you do? You discount, discount, discount. But it doesn't necessarily bring in buyers. So maybe just what happens is the Saudis win. I mean, they kind of figured it out. Uh, the Russians figured it out. They knew how vulnerable we were. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the commitment uh, that the president talked about last Friday uh, about the big cuts and Thursday, big cuts. And you come in here on Monday and would have loved to have seen you. Yes, it turns out our pals in Russia and Saudi Arabia have gone with us. But Russia's not our pal. They're actually our enemy. And the Saudis, well, they are trying to keep their price up because they want to make a lot of money. So, I mean, these, uh, these bedfellows are certainly not helping the Permian. And what matters for us in terms of jobs is the Permian. Uh, so it is a disappointing scenario. And if you look at this, at the stocks of the so-called midstream producers, midstream pipelines, and you see the yields 13, 14, 15, 16, that means those yields are going to go. And that whole infrastructure that a lot of wealthy people like because these were these fabulous MLPs, so to speak, 
uh, it's going to blow up. And it's going to blow up in a way that is just so dispiriting that for those who need income. But we, we kind of ignore it. But they created a huge number of companies. There's a lot of new companies out there. And they're probably going to go bankrupt. Uh, indeed. And to David's point about demand, uh, I don't know you see this now crossing, David. Allstate is going to return yeah. $600 million in premiums. Uh, to customers because you're simply driving less. Uh, most people are going to get a 15% back of their monthly uh, for the months of April and May. That's a remarkable uh, policy switch, just a reflection of the fact that everybody, in fact, is staying home. That is, I don't know that I've ever seen that before, uh, Carl. Perhaps it's taken place at some point, but yeah. I mean, the, the miles driven is obviously dramatically lower. And let's not forget air travel as well, the statistics of which are also just shocking and fill the boat shares, shares them with us every day. But a lot uh, less jet fuel is being used as well. So you've got both of those. And that's worldwide uh, putting tremendous pressure on the commodity. Jim, um, you know, when you look at something like oil and you're mentioning so many of the different areas, I continue to wonder whether we're going to see some things that are unexpected as well. Not necessarily good, perhaps deleterious, but that we're not even keeping an eye on. Is there any part of this or things that are connected to the energy complex that are also concerning for you? Yeah, uh, natural gas worth zero. Uh, so it makes it so it, there really is very, very hard to actually pump. It, maybe you're going to have to flare all over the place. Now, I know this administration is, is uh, indifferent to flaring, but it does matter. I have to tell you, Allstate's smart. Because if I were, uh, there could be a groundswell among the Senator Warrens of the world that, to have it so that business interruption should be paid by the insurers. So, Carl, that could be something worth watching. Yeah, yeah. We are going to talk to Howard Schultz of, uh, of Starbucks in a bit here, as we'll get to a bunch of other, we got some calls on Zoom and others. Uh, don't go away. Squawk on the streets back in just a moment on this Monday. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. You want to know what industry is most in disarray, I think, and has the most jobs at risk? It's the restaurant business, the hospitality business. So let's bring in former Starbucks chairman and CEO Howard Schultz, who knows more about this area than most. Howard, always good to see you. Hey, Jim, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the plate fund. Well, let's do that because there is a gap between when people may get money from their employers, may not, given the fact that restaurants are shoosting operations. And it is important for people to kick in because this group is very disenfranchised. Well, thank you, Jim. Uh, well, as you know all too well, uh, the spread of the coronavirus has created uh, unprecedented economic carnage and fear among restaurant workers uh, across the country. Uh, as a result of that, in greater Seattle, there's 100,000 people who are unemployed. What we're trying to do is create the most innovative way 
to bridge the gap between the stimulus package and get cash in the hands of restaurant workers as soon as possible. So the Plate Fund launched today. Uh, we will create an opportunity to get $500 of cash uh, to restaurant workers, the most needy, uh, within 48 hours. It's not meant, obviously, to create enough sustenance, but these people are suffering from food insecurity, home instability. And I think uh, given the spread of the coronavirus, we have to recognize one thing. It's not only the ability to try and flatten the curve of the health crisis, but we must flatten the curve of economic despair. And that is what we're trying to do in Greater Seattle. I'm so glad uh, you are. We had uh, Stephen Singh on, on Friday night uh, from All In Seattle, used to be CEO of Concur. Yep. And, and what's pretty clear is that you guys are ahead of everybody else. I'm wondering if that's because you were the original epicenter of the pandemic. Well, I think that's true. I, I think uh, there's a few things here. I think uh, it started very early here. Uh, Friday was the third week in which restaurant workers have not gotten a paycheck. Uh, and as a result of just recognizing the unbelievable crisis economically and talking to restaurant workers, talking to restaurant owners, and members of the greater Seattle business community, we band together to try and do everything we can to create the most innovative program possible to get money in the hands of people who need it. And I, I think uh, so many people have been on your show and people are doing great things, but it's, it's not a time for politics. Uh, it's a time to band together, to get hope to people who need it most, and most importantly, to demonstrate shared humanity across every single spectrum of our society. And uh, this is a time really where we really, really we must come together and recognize we're going to get through this. But we also have to dig deep to help those people who can't help themselves. Howard, are, are, are the people big enough? In other words, is this a problem that uh, we're get, bridging a gap between we hope the money will go to these people or not? Because as someone who owns two restaurants, I can tell you every restaurateur is trying to make up a, their mind. Do we stay open? Do we not stay open? Do we go to the bank? Maybe they know us. Maybe they don't. Do we get an SBA number? Maybe we don't. Do we fight for the money or is it worth it? Uh, the restaurant workers, they just want to work. Uh, the, uh, the, I just feel like that there's the possibility that, that uh, the bridge won't be, it'll be a bridge to nowhere because the restaurants won't reopen. Well, I think you're bringing up a great point. Uh, I think uh, most restaurants, unfortunately, uh, operate month to month, quarter to quarter. These are small business people who have sacrificed so much entrepreneurially to build their business. And now they're facing an economic crisis where, candidly, many of them may not be able to open. However, the restaurant workers are a community in every restaurant, a sense of family. And what I've learned in the last couple of weeks as we were putting the plate together, plate fund together, is that there's an unbelievable level of concern and empathy and compassion not only for the restaurant owners, for their own business, but most importantly, the demonstration of what they're trying to do for their own people. We have restaurants in Seattle who are suffering, may not be open, and yet they're opening their restaurant at night to feed their own people. This is the kind of humanity that we need in the country and what we're trying to do. But we, we have to recognize that stimulus is going to come, but it's going to be late. We have to find an innovative way to get cash. And the plate fund, unlike most other uh, things that have been developed is an opportunity to get cash in the hands of people within 48 hours. They need money and they need it now. They can't put food on their table. And this is a problem. The other issue, and I think I hate to bring this up, but it's a reality. Across the country, we are beginning to see storefronts being boarded up. What does that mean? People are getting concerned about what happens if people don't have food on their table, money to feed their family. 
we must do something to get cash in the hands of people now to bridge the gap between stimulus and assistance. They need money now. Well, at the same time, I hope you won't mind a question about uh, the, the Starbucks model, because anybody who's read your books or knows how you started the company knows that this notion of a third place, a gathering place, is a cornerstone of the model. And I'm wondering, yeah. how does that not directly collide with the fear of gathering that we're currently and will be in for some time? Well, I think, Carl, you bring up a good point. Uh, I think it's clear to me that uh, when we get through this, and we will, the pattern recognition of what we once had for consumer behavior will be changed. However, uh, I, I think people will be longing for human connection. People will be longing for a sense of community and a third place. And I think Starbucks will benefit from that opportunity. But it will take time for people to feel comfortable again. But we are all longing, again. I think, for the people that we see every day at work, for our friends and family. And I think that is going to be an opportunity when we get through this. But I think it's true. It will take some time for people to feel comfortable again to go back to the pattern they once had. Howard, it's David Faber. Um, back to restaurants for a moment. Of course, supporting the workers right now is, is paramount. But I wonder when we get back to some sense of normalcy and you are a restaurant owner, you're going to need capital to reopen. It's not like you're just going to be able to flick a switch. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you think the capital will be there? And is that a concern as well? Well, it absolutely is a concern. I mean, uh, thankfully, Starbucks has the balance sheet and the resources to manage through the most severe uh, situation. But I think for most restaurant owners, you're correct. And I think one thing that I would hope the government and the stimulus package would look like in the second and third tranche is a backstop to provide landlords and, and, and banks the opportunity to forego not only the rent in the short term, but give an opportunity for these restaurant operators to open in a way in which rent is forgiven. But if we don't provide a backstop for the restaurants, I suspect that we could see a situation around the country in which approximately 30% or more of small independent retailers and or restaurants never reopen. And the value that these restaurants and small businesses uh, operate and the value they create for their community is not only the value of people coming into their business, it's employment, it's vendors, it's all the people who support them, not to mention the, the intrinsic value of neighborhoods and community gathering. And so we can't have a scorched earth situation in which 30 to 40 percent of restaurants and small businesses do not reopen. And I would hope that the government and the Senate and the Congress are looking at ways to recognize that we must not only flatten the curve of the health crisis, but we must begin to flatten the curve of economic despair for restaurant owners, small businesses, and most importantly, the 10 million people now who have filed for unemployment, who are dying and in despair for cash now. Howard, I know that you are a, a shrewd observer of not just restaurants, but also retail in general. Uh, and you're also uh, near the headquarters of Costco. Uh, do we not run the risk that there'll be Costco, there'll be Walmart, and another one in your, uh, that you're friendly with, Amazon, that only three of them make it? Maybe Target makes it. Uh, they're the only ones that have the balance sheets to make it. Is, are we going to come out with three or four retailers? Well, I think there's great risk in the fact that the independent retailers who compete every day uh, and who are disadvantaged by that kind of scale of Walmart or Amazon, 
or a Costco, they are going to need assistance. And we don't want to get to a situation where the consumer today only has two or three choices. And so this, this is a moment in time, and the crisis is now, in which the planning, the foresight, the empathy, and the compassion for small business owners must be taken in, into consideration in everything we're trying to do. So when we come out of this, not only do we have normalcy in terms of getting through the health crisis, but doing it in a way in which the economic environment is fair and equitable for every person who has worked so hard to build their business before the crisis and the health issue uh, occurred. Uh, opening bell there, Howard, as we're talking to you. Uh, we'll take a look at, uh, at the market in a moment. Really quick, Austria is now the first European country to sort of roll out a timetable for reopening. Small shops as early as next week. Uh, higher risk shops like hair salons on May 1. Restaurants in mid-May. Is that the kind of conversation we should be having in this country today? I don't think so. I, I think Bill Gates got it exactly right. Uh, and, and he's been saying this now for weeks. Uh, the country, in my view, would be best served if there was a federal mandate and we were shut down. And we allowed the opportunity, as we saw in South Korea and we saw in China, for the crisis and the health issue to be contained in a way in which we were doing everything we could to flatten the curve. Uh, I, I think that is not going to work in, in America. Austria is a much smaller country. I, I don't see it. And I think every day that goes by in which nine states are not reopening is, is problematic. Uh, but, you know, I'm not here to talk about politics. I am here to talk about shared humanity. And we must find a way to do everything possible to get cash in the hands of people who need it most. And I think for every American, uh, let's try and dig deep and walk in the shoes of people who, unfortunately, at this point in time, can't help themselves. Let's do everything we can to help them. And that's what the Plate Fund is designed to do in Greater Seattle. Yeah, uh, just one uh, thing, Howard. You saved, I uh, want to point out, you saved our viewers a bit of money, a fortune. You questioned Luckin Coffee very early on. Uh, it turned out that it was a fraud. And I think that sometimes we live in the world again where I, I have made money. I have nothing I can do. And I want to thank you for recognizing who does well, which is Starbucks in China, and who was making up numbers. And you were very wise to it. And uh, my viewers, thank you. Well, and I, I, in, in saying that, I, I don't want to in any way uh, say that every company that starts up in China is a bad company. But I think this company uh, from the very beginning was saying and doing things to me that this did not smell right. Uh, but having said that, I think Starbucks, uh, although I'm not directly involved, did demonstrate a, a way to navigate, navigate through China, in which now over 90 percent of our stores are reopened. And I think that will serve us well uh, as we navigate through the, the coronavirus crisis. But I also, I, you know, I've watched the show every day, and I think you've done a wonderful job in framing the issues and also carrying the torch for the fact that there, there's two issues here, the pandemic of the coronavirus and the pandemic of economic fear, uncertainty, and despair. And the two must go parallel together to come out of this hole for the American people. Well, thank you, Howard. Thank you for those kind words. And, and the plate is right, because what people have to recognize is that, they, as you are as the Plate Fund founder, these are the most disenfranchised. These are the people who right now have nothing. This morning they wake up, they have nothing. They have no hope for a job. They have no money in their bank account. And the only thing they can look forward is the kindness of strangers like you, because you care tremendously. Thank you for coming on the show, Howard. We're always good to see thank, you. Thank you, guys. Stay healthy and stay safe, you and your families. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Back to you, Carl. Thank you. 
Uh, Jim, let's uh, talk about the market we've seen. You know, cash-in, our cash-in has been weighing in more frequently now as he recovers from his uh, car accident that he was in in February. He says today will be a tug-of-war uh, between uh, the rally that we talked about at the open, reflecting uh, some potential curve-bending versus what's happening with oil today. And he says, watch that. Well, look, he's absolutely right, because uh, when we see oil go down, uh, the algorithms that we talk about say, you know what, maybe the economy's weaker. It's actually, of course, just a question of too much supply. But I find that the stocks that that are uh, involved with when you think that the economy is is really faltering are, are, are going down right at the beginning. But at the same time, we also have this terrible situation that we haven't even talked about with the uh, airlines. I mean, here we've got uh, Warren Buffett saying, you know what, I'm, I'm a seller of Delta. Now, because he's Warren Buffett, there are people who impute a lot to it. Well, maybe because he just sees that the government might take a big stake in it. Maybe he sees that, you know what, the airlines are, uh, are under a lot of trouble and it's time to bail. But, David, you remember Warren Buffett has not had too much luck with the airlines, has he? No, he hasn't when you go back a long time. In fact, if you recall, he had, I think, said many times he would never invest in airlines again, only to actually decide to invest again. Now, to be fair, the airlines did change dramatically over the last, let's call it 10 years or so, uh, earning more than their cost of capital for the first time in their long history over this recent period, Jim. But he has been once again reminded perhaps why that was not necessarily, uh, that was advice he should have taken from himself not to go back in uh, to the uh, to the airlines. Uh, Buffett, otherwise quiet. I mean, at least we've heard from Jamie Dimon in the right. form of his annual letter uh, where he did address a lot of what's going on right now, but not a lot coming uh, from Mr. Buffett in terms of at least broader sort of proclamations about America that we typically get from him that make a lot of people feel positive. Yeah, we'd like that. We definitely want to know uh the airline group, we just talked about to Howard Schultz about how the workers in the restaurant group are suffering. When you fly, you're on your own. And I do wonder, and I know Phil LeBeau is closer to this than anyone, who is going to apply for, uh, for the money? Uh, is Treasury Secretary going to own 25 percent of Delta? It, does it make sense? Is, it United, is United immune? I think that the, uh, the Treasury Secretary has got to speak up and the airlines have to speak up because these stocks are trading. And I always hate it when stocks are trading and there's a couple people who know what's really going on. And there's the rest of us. And I think that there's a wouldn't it be great if, the, you know, the SEC I'm not the SEC on CBS because CBS isn't carrying it. But the actual SEC no. were to come out and say, you know what, uh, we need information and we're not going to let these stocks trade until we find out whether the Treasury owns them. But we're in a tremendous period of laissez faire everything. So uh, and anything goes. Uh, Geez, it's it's kind of uh, disconcerting to me that these stocks can trade when some people know that the government's going to take a stake and others are clueless. It doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, and uh, everybody should go back and read Friday night, the memos that came out from Ed Bastian of Delta and the uh, CEO of JetBlue. Uh, Delta said, you know, on a typical Saturday in April, we have 600,000 people fly. Uh, last Saturday, we had 38,000 people fly. And then, David, this morning, this journal piece on airlines, Lufthansa, and some of the others that are literally looking for the chemical that will keep algae from growing in the gas tank on these planes that are parked on runways and not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to find as much space as they can for them. Listen, the numbers are staggering. We keep talking about them. 124,000 versus 2.4 million for the year ago on any given day and continuing to to come down. Um, You know, 
when you lose 90% of your revenues, I mean, what's JetBlue is losing, what, 10 million a day, I think it is at least. And a number of the other airlines are losing even more than that. Um, there's no doubt that they are in significant financial distress. And the question is, to Jim's point, what they're going to look like and what role the government's going to play here in terms of trying to aid them and how that ends up looking. Um, guys, on that point, by the way, uh, it is worth mentioning a provider to the airlines, Woodward and Hexel. Remember that deal, right. uh, Jim? You know, Woodward, independent designer, manufacturer, provider of control system solutions and components for aerospace and Hexel, which makes a lot of those composites. They called off their merger, um, citing current conditions. Uh, they mutually terminate, but that is worth noting this morning, of course. We may see a bit more of that, particularly in these stock-for-stock -stock deals where it's just in both companies' interest to not go through a process that is going to leave them somewhat paralyzed while they wait for various approvals and be able to focus on their balance sheets and focus, obviously, on the deterioration taking place in their various industries. Were you surprised that the uh, Raytheon deal went so smoothly with uh, United Technologies, David? I mean, you know, we, it's funny because we've had a lot of the biggest deals closed last, in the last week, right? We had Sprint and T-Mobile and Raytheon uh, UTX, now called Raytheon Technologies. Not necessarily surprised, Jim. Curious to see how Otis and Carrier are going to do, of course. Um, Greg Hayes, as always, was very straight talking. He, you know, sometimes there's so much coming at us that we don't focus. When he said two years, do you remember that? Yes. Two years to get back to normal. That was a moment there. Uh, we moved on quickly past it, but it is worth noting uh, that that was a long time, a long time before he sees getting back to, again, a sense of normalcy in terms of his business is what he was talking about. Right. I think, Carl, one of the things that has, has been so hard is to try to figure out, OK, when am I going to go back to work? When am I going to go back to school? And it keeps coming back to testing. So I keep going to Abbott Labs, which is doing its darn best. It's 50,000. Uh, they just uh, test kits. They just uh, got them out on Thursday. But until we get into a situation where I know whether you have it and you know whether I have it uh, and we're all yeah. willing to wear a mask, I don't want to go to a restaurant with you. And that's no good. We we have to feel that it, it, it's not taking our life into our hands when we go into a store. And the, the normalcy yeah. is going to come back when we have antivirals. And I think that's the big focus. Wall Street's been putting out good antiviral viral research about who's got it and who doesn't, right. whether it matters what Gilead's doing. But nothing matters until I say, you know what, uh, David, I got tested this morning. I'm pretty good. Well, and, no, and Jim, uh, it, I mean, without to a that doubt. point. Uh, just two examples, guys. This morning, CVS is going to start drive-through testing at locations in Atlanta and Rhode Island. Uh, there's this new Stanford University immunity test that Governor Gavin Newsom says is going to try to be scaled mm -hmm. and get people to go back to work under the exact scenario, Jim, you're mm -hmm. talking about. So um, my question is, are you seeing that fill in even on the edges right now? Well, I mean, we have one of this kind of oddity. It, 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 we have a very federalist system, more federalist than I've seen uh, since 1860. Uh, <laughs> it, it's every state for itself, kind of. Uh, Gavin Newsom distinguished himself trying to make it so that it, that it works. Uh, but, yeah, without uh, knowing, I think that Stanford program is very good. They're looking at antibodies, too. That's very smart. All right. Let's get to Bob Bassani this morning with the uh, Dow up almost 4%. Morning, Bob. 
These futures started uh, overnight up big and it has stayed up, basically flatlining. And that's because we just had a great response overseas in Asia. A good part of China is closed, uh, but Hang Seng's open. The Nikkei's up about 4%. We just had a great start to the week overall. Korea's up as well. Uh, the stock's uh, 600 over in Europe is up. Autos are up over in Europe. Uh, as well. Here in the United States, uh, banking is leading. This is exactly what you want to see. These are the most beaten up sectors that we've had. Retail is leading, another beaten up sector, dramatically lagging. Industrial is doing better. Tech, what's lagging today? Hey, consumer staples. Well, remember, that was the old leadership group. So we have essentially inverted at this point. Uh, and if you take a look at the old market leaders, uh, Kroger, Clorox, Campbell Soup, General Mills, how many times in the last few weeks have I put them up and they've been the market leaders uh, up on days when the market is down. And today we are down on days when the market is up big. So there is, uh, I know this is crazy to say, but there is some rotation going on in the market. And really, this has been the trend for a while. Last week, I spent a lot of time looking at the market's uh, intraday volatility swings compared to the prior three weeks. We saw generally lighter volume, about 30% lighter than normal uh, than we've seen in the prior three weeks last week. The VIX is at 44 today. It was at 83 or 4 uh, the end of March. Uh, intraday price swings last week were in the 2 to 3% range. We were at 5 to 7% range uh, in the last several weeks uh, of March. So things were calmer, uh, definitely. Obviously, still a lot of concern out there. I think the part where we're at right now, we're sort of in the middle. There are a lot of people who say we're going to retest the lows. We'll, we'll see about that. Remember, 22.37 was the March 23rd bottom. We're 340 points away from that. So it's a long time, long way to test the lows. But from the February 19th high, we, uh, we dropped uh, 27% by the end of last week. At the worst part, we were down 35%. And from the lows, we're up 14%. In fact, if you include this morning's gain of 3%, we're up 17%. So this is why I say we're right sort of in the middle of where we were. Uh, and it's debatable whether we'll retest those old lows. 350 points, a long way to go on the S&P to retest those lows. But some people feel that's quite possible. Uh, it's heartening, I think, to see a lot of the earnings estimates because no one has a clue what's going on. But a lot of the earnings estimates seem to be coalescing in the down 20 to 30 percent range. Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley, I think he's representative of this. He's estimating today that we'll see declines for 2020 in the low teens to 20 percent. There is a lot of debate about what's going to happen with dividends and buybacks, an awful lot over the weekend on buybacks. He noted that dividends were cut 12 percent in 2008. There have already been a few dividend cuts. I don't think we're going to see uh, quite as many. Uh, buybacks is a much more serious issue here. Uh, he thinks there's a 50% decline in buybacks. Remember, we had north of $800 billion last year. Uh, and if we get a 50% decline, that'll remove about a 1% tailwind to the EPS numbers. Uh, others like Goldman think it could be a lot more severe than that. We'll see. Remember, the earnings were cut. Uh, the, 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 uh, the buybacks were cut nearly 100% in 2008. But most of that was because of the banks all got cut. They were big uh, buyback people. Uh, finally, um, you know, Carl, you mentioned my dear friend, our dear friend, Art Cashin. Uh, nice story up on tradertalk.cnbc.com with Art and his thoughts uh, on coronavirus. I think the important thing is just that Art is back. He moved back into his house on Friday. He is in rehab. And Carl, uh, I of course said, when are you coming back on? When can we get you on the air? When can we talk on the phone with you, with me and you and Carl and all the guys? And he said, maybe a little later this week. I think the great thing about Art Cashin here, my favorite line in this, when I said, everybody says, stay in the rehab and keep doing the rehab. Carl, he said, the hell with the rehab. When are they going to reopen Bobby Vance? Now you know 
Carl Artcash is feeling a lot better, and he sends his great gratitude for all the best wishes for all the people out there who have flooded uh, on Twitter, wishing him the best. He sends his love to everyone that is out there. Carl, back to you. Some of the best news of the weekend, Bob, and everybody should read your piece, uh, cnbc.com slash trader-talk. Uh, Bob Pisani, thank you. Uh, David, I know you got some thoughts on Slack today and this uh, debt offering. Yeah, you know, Carl, you know, in and of itself, perhaps not that big a deal, but worth mentioning a six hundred million dollar convertible that they're that they're going to bring to market five year notes. We don't know coupon. We don't know interest rate. We don't know conversion rate, I should say, as well. Uh, at this point, they will be determined in part by the marketplace. But I note it because when we sort of were coming out of um, of the financial crisis and bottoming, there were a lot of converts that companies were starting to issue and the market did have an appetite for it. So something to keep an eye on. As for Slack, well, that stock not doing much, down a little bit uh, this morning with the news of this. But another way to raise capital, obviously, in a very difficult environment but one that we should watch because it can be somewhat reflective, Jim, of the overall appetite in the market for this kind of paper. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that uh, there is any appetite at all. Uh, Slack uh, is definitely in use because of the new at-home office. But we know that uh, Saudi Nadella is a very competitive man. and Nadella doesn't want Slack to be able to win. So maybe Slack needs every penny it, it can get. But I'm always surprised about the appetite yeah. of paper. I'm always surprised that the bankers are so successful at selling something because I, of the pieces of paper that I want, I'm not sure I want to be levered to slack when I know that the long knives are out against them. Right. But, you know, your point about Microsoft, Microsoft Teams, of course, yeah. I mean, it does go to this new world that at least people are trying to understand when we do get to the other side of this. How many people will continue to work remotely of a given workforce? Uh, and and so things like teams make that a lot easier. Uh, we all know, I'm sure you guys have been doing it too, you know, your Zoom cocktail hour with friends or family oh, and things yeah. of that nature. It is amazing how our behaviors are changing and so many people are focused on, well, what's it going to mean when we do get back to life? A lot of people focused in part, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people who run organizations on their office space. You know, Maybe I never need to or don't need to expand anytime soon because I can know now that I can have 25% of my employee base that is at home at one time or another. doesn't mean they're all the same people. That can change. But I know that I only need 75% of my current floor plan. And that's a real opportunity for me to save money. So that's one area I'm hearing a lot of conversation about when we do get to the other side of this. You're sorry, there will not be Although, a need I, uh, for I'm more sorry. office space. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Jim, this uh, Credit Suisse downgrade of Zoom today to underperform, although they take their target up to 105, is largely based on the premise that, yeah, it's going to get used, but the conversion to paid use might be uh, overstated right now. Well, that's why I'm going to have Zoom on tonight to try to figure out. I mean, a lot of us got hooked on Zoom very quickly. I I've been to a couple of Zoom uh, cocktail parties. I, I was overserved. Uh, but I would tell you that, <laughs> but I'm fine. Uh, but Eric Yuan will give us a little sense. I mean, you know, we went from 10 million to 200 uh, million overnight. And I know that Cisco's got a competing product. I ring central on, but Zoom is also, maybe that's the way, if I were on the board of a college, boy, I got to tell you, I'd be very worried 
uh, what I'm, you know, the kids are starting to learn pretty well. You have two kids that are focused on it. And yes, we absolutely know that the value of a college is perhaps going to the campus and getting to know each other. But if college goes to, say, 80,000, uh, I wonder whether there'll be a Zoom rebellion saying, you know what, the hell with that. I'm going to find a college that I can get a degree in. Uh, and save 80 G's because, boy, you know, you come out with $320,000 in debt into a market where there aren't any jobs. I, I think that's a pretty ho- hopeless situation. David, your kid's about to go to school. What do you think? I mean, I got to say, um, you know, it's really it's a story of haves and haves nots right now as you're looking at NY, uh, New York City schools trying to get iPads in the hands of kids right. who barely have Wi-Fi. Uh, but if you're in a private school, obviously, yeah. the, it's relatively seamless, Jim, as you said. It's a huge structural change in, in education, at least in this country. Yeah, this is uh, another Let's get one to Rick this... Santelli this morning. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, let's check in with Rick Santelli, uh, see what's going on at the CME. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Well... You know, some of you out there might look at an S&P or Dow Jones chart and say, you know, that actually could be the bottom in stocks. But it's really hard to do the same thing with regard to interest rates. Now, if we look at a February start to two-year note yields and realize 21 is the lowest close in about seven years, here we bump along at 25 basis points, 24 basis points, up a bit on the day. But certainly, with zero to 25 for the uh, effective uh, range of Fed funds, it's hard to imagine that we couldn't see another retest of even lower rates. And we could see market-driven rates flip negative. We could see auctions do it, even if the Treasury and the Fed don't want negative rates. Let's look at a 10-year starting in February. Realize that our low-yield close forever is 54 basis points. Here we sit, what, 10 basis points higher? It's not much of a cushion, and it does make many nervous. And it's not so much that it's giving us an indication of the economy because it's hard to get any GPS on the economy. What it's giving us is kind of the feeling of investors and how they will grab into these sovereign debt when things start to get a bit dicey. And the fact we're so close to historic lows really makes a difference. 30-year bonds, the all-time low intraday uh, uh, is 69 basis points, 99 the close. So you see, of course, the longest maturity has the biggest cushion. If you think about boon deals, it's fairly interesting because we know last week we got very close to 100 basis points of separation between tens and boons. And that is uh, the best in a little over six years, the closest they've been. Now, as you look at this chart of boons, what's fascinating is minus 85s are all-time low. Here they sit at minus 42. Their 43 basis point cushion is one of the larger ones. It does give us some insight into the notion that their rates, especially the southern economies, have pulled to the upside, unlike some of the sovereign debt here. Finally, the dollar. Look at a one-week chart of the dollar index. Uh, Four out of the last five days have been higher. But maybe the best chart is, let's go back all the way 17 years, because here we hover above 100. In 17 years, we hardly have spent much time above 100, as you see on this chart, which really does underscore score this resiliency of the dollar index maybe is a negative for certain economies like emerging markets. But at the end of the day, America, you still get to buy things at the lowest prices with a stronger dollar. David, back to you. Okay, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, Take a look uh, at shares of luck and coffee before we send you to break. You know, it's funny, Jim had mentioned it with Howard Schultz. Goldman Sachs had a margin loan that uh, obviously is in default given the significant fall in the shares 
on Friday, they're selling them. They're selling 76 million uh, ADSs, and that's putting pressure on the stock as well. By the way, it is also, uh, uh, again, a margin loan facility secured by shares, but it does appear that it was the CEO as well, and it will significantly reduce his voting interests. Uh, so no let up there for luck and coffee. When we come back in the next hour of Squawk on the Street, don't miss Sarah's exclusive interview with former Fed chair Janet Yellen. More Squawk on the Street right after this. Time for a quick reset here on uh, Squawk on the Street. Uh, good Monday morning. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen, Jim Cramer, and David Faber coming to you live from different locations. Uh, decent market action to start what will be a holiday-shortened week. Dow's up 1,000 points, better than 4%. Uh, the last time we talked about ventilators with Medtronic, it had already ramped up operations to produce ventilators around the clock. Uh, but since then, the need for them has grown, leading the president to invoke the Defense Pro Pro Production Act. Uh, joining us in a CNBC exclusive this morning is the CEO of Medtronic, Omar Ashrock. Omar, welcome back. Good to see you. Great to see you, too. Uh, let's just start with the report card on where we are in, in ventilator supply in this country and what parts of the country they're going to. Well, first, we made a lot of progress since uh, we last talked. Um, we do make critical care ventilators, like, like I mentioned last time, and the response uh, from our team and from our partners has been simply uh, outstanding. Um, last time I was on the call, we talked about the rate of, uh, per week of uh, our manufacturing these ventilators. Today we're at 300 a week, which is about uh, double what we had in January when this uh, pandemic first started. Uh, by the end of April, we'll be at 400 a week. By May, we'll be at 700 a week. And then uh, by June, 1,000 a week. So great progress uh, in ramping up production. Uh, the way we're allocating this is uh, almost exclusively by clinical need. So uh, we are looking at disease models and trying to predict uh, where the greatest need is at any point in time. And we're shipping those uh, ventilators to that point, to that very place. Uh, price is not a factor at all. In fact, we've uh, put in place a fixed price, which is uh, lower than the prevailing price before the, uh, before the pandemic. And that's the same price that everybody pays and not a factor in our consideration. The main thing we're looking at is where the greatest clinical need is and looking at disease models. We look at that regularly and we're allocating in that way. Interesting. Is the is the marginal capacity that's being added coming from legacy players like yourself? Is it from other types of manufacturers who are switching to this? Is it from other countries from whom we are importing or a combination of all of the above? Well, uh, first, the numbers that I gave you, the thousand a week by June is actually our own factories. Our own factory in Ireland is going to ramp up to that pace within the next couple of months. Now, in addition to this, on top of this, uh, as you know, we put out uh, an open source initiative where we open sourced our design for our 560 uh, ventilator, and that has had tremendous response. We've had over 70,000 downloads, and there have been some major players uh, who have been engaged. Uh, amongst them is Foxconn, uh, who have a plant in Wisconsin, where we plan to make, together with them, uh, uh, ventilators uh, within the next uh, four to six weeks. Uh, that'll be in production in that time frame, and that's on top of the numbers that I just gave you. Uh, the exact numbers on those we don't know yet, but we will be rolling into production. Like I said, we're doing everything we can, working 24-7 with Foxconn uh, to bring this up to uh, uh, the factory in Wisconsin. Now, in addition to that, there are a few other partners um, outside the United States, uh, in Asia, 
uh, with whom we're also engaging. Uh, so this enables us to leverage uh, capacity and expertise, engineering expertise of major players who've got com complementary supply chain to really uh, improve and uh, further enhance our capability to, to make ventilators, which as you know, are a critical uh, resource uh, in this time around the world and, and certainly in the United States. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.